Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Hope everyone is in tip top shape mentally and physically. And welcome to your next installment of the Squash Mind podcast series. So I'm delighted to welcome to the show today, Joelle King. Joelle was born in New Zealand and stayed there until 29 playing and traveling the world tour. And then at 29, she decided to up sticks and move to the UK and base herself in Bristol with Hadrian Stiff. We talk about this process and how difficult it was being based in New Zealand in regard to the travel and how she had to go to her tournaments from so far away, but also how this was normal. And then her transition to being based in Bristol and what this added to her. She was able to break into the top 10 in 2011, which was relatively early in her career. And we reflect on what this was like and also the frustrations that came with it breaking in so early but also maybe stagnating in that top 10 which sounds really harsh but we we take a bit of a conversation on how this was for her when she was number four in the world she sustained a massive injury rupturing her achilles tendon and was out for an extended period we reflect on how this was actually a blessing for her in the big picture of things and she was able to look at this injury to be able to assess where she was at and where she wanted to go 
She was able to get back to her world number four spot in April 2018 and then ended this month with a very special moment in her career where she got two gold medals and one bronze medal at the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. We also reflect on this event and what it meant to her. So we had such a fun chat about the mind and her journey in this aspect and she really opened up about things that, that she's been working on or things that she found difficult and how growing up in New Zealand also gave her a certain perception around the mind and mental toughness. We talk about her visualization process leading up to and at events and we also talk about how she's able to cope with setbacks and failure. She really opens up about her time before meeting Hadrian and how this was a massive pivotal moment in her life and her career. So without further ado, please welcome Joelle King. Joelle King, welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. How are you keeping? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Yeah, we had, we had a quite a quite an uh, animated little chat before we started recording. It probably sounds like we could have done that for another 20 minutes or so at least. But <laughs> oh, anyone that knows me knows I love a chat. Like yeah. I'll chat to anybody. So there you go. Perfect. Well, a, a, a good a good start for the show, hopefully. But um, listen, I think a real cool place to start would be for you to walk us through maybe a brief timeline of what it was like growing up in New Zealand and what it was like then moving in, and living in the UK. Yeah, so I grew up with two older brothers um, and came from a very sporting family. My dad actually was a junior um, Kiwi rugby league player um, and also was a rugby coach. So I was always around sport with my parents, uh, like any typical New Zealander, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think even from a young age, being challenged by my older brothers was is something now that I look back on and I think, oh, my God, that was that's actually part of what made me me today. You know what I mean? So growing up in New Zealand, um, I started playing squash when I was eight, but I actually played pretty much any sport that was going um, up until I was 16, 17. Mm-hmm. That's, that's about the time that I actually decided, oh, I think I could actually play squash. Um, up until that point, it was like a lesson a week, you know, mm-hmm. playing tournaments, things like that. But I was still playing rep netball. Um, and lots of other sports and I kind of came to that point where I had to make a choice of taking squash or following netball and um, I chose to go with the individual sport which I think anyone now would say of course you did because I'm I I love that thrill of it all being on on my terms yeah yeah and lived all my all my life really in New Zealand I used to travel to tournaments from New Zealand my whole Mm. career up until I was 29 Wow. That's 29. That's yes. far end of the world to do that from. So, because I, sorry, I probably, I assumed you might've moved a little bit earlier here, but can you talk us through how, how that posed its difficulties being, you know, that far away and having to travel to tournaments? Yeah, I think it's like anything you, you don't realize until you make that change. Oh, wow. How did I actually do that? You know yeah. what I mean? Like now I'm, I'm flying to Egypt on the 10th. It's four four hours that used to take me 32 hours to get (laughs) from New Zealand to a tournament in Egypt or a tournament in the UK and I used to do that willingly you know I I I didn't know any difference so for me it was just part of me being a pro squash player Um, I was also married so I was trying to you know do both lives and Mm. and keep it all going and and that was that was just all I knew so 
um, when I was when I was eighteen, I spent probably six months over two or three years with Glenn Wilson in Canada. Uh, he was coaching me from fourteen to twenty one. So I, I, as I was starting my career, um, I would go and stay with him throughout that six months. But mm. the proper move happened when I was 20, 29. Okay, wow, awesome. And just, just staying with your growing up in New Zealand, because I'm always fascinated about environment and what environment we get exposed to that, that leads to maybe mental toughness or decision-making or being able to cope with competition. Can you reflect on that? So you, you had two brothers and you, you were in that environment. So how much do you think that non-early specialization helped your squash later on in regard to your mind? I think it was a good and a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting now, like as you get older, you sort of look back and think, oh, maybe I could have done that better or done something a bit different. Um, I think as far as me as an athlete, I think it developed me really well. Mm -hmm. uh, being literally, I played golf, um, touch anything that I could play that my parents would just put me into lessons off you go go and learn how to play that sport so I think developing development wise you know in my physicality um, mm -hmm. I've always been known for my physicality on court and I, I I honestly think you know there's so many New Zealanders like me mm -hmm. that because of being exposed to lots of different sports um, I, I honestly believe that develops them physically yeah probably the thing that I, I probably wish I specialized a little bit earlier mm -hmm. like you know 16 17 players like Raneem was like top 20 okay. Shabini had won the world juniors at 13 and I'm kind of just going oh well actually yeah I might play squash so mm -hmm. you know there's there's two sides to the coin mm -hmm. um, that I guess the strength I've had in my career came from that, mm. um, but probably a bit of weakness also from not just specialising. Yeah, it's, it's such a such a tricky one, isn't it? Because because you see again parents, you know, seeing the the Tiger Woods story specialising at two years old and and you know only played golf his whole life, and they think that's the poster boy, and it can become so difficult, can't it? And then you know, if, if that message becomes so strong and, and you've probably seen it, I, I know juniors I was playing squash with and, you know, similar grew up in, in Africa, good weather, lots of sport and all that, you know, I wasn't an early specialist, but the, the kids who were specializing at 10 and 11, by the time they were 18, they actually weren't playing anymore. They they just burnt out. So there's always that debate as well. And, and I don't know if you reflect back, what, what do you think of, would have happened there if you specialized maybe too early? I completely agree. I think, you know, the culture that I came from in New Zealand as well, it's mm -hmm. to be pushed like that quite often is not, not the way that um, equals success, I guess, yeah. for a lot of kids back there. Um, it's just a complete, you know, we have such a free lifestyle. Mm -hmm. We like to also go to the beach. We like to live our life as well. Um, so I, I think, you know, at the point of 18 for me, because I hadn't been pushed, by yeah. that at 18, I was like, right, that's it. I wanna I wanna do this. Yeah. You know, whereas a lot of kids that I played with that were maybe pushed or held back from having outside interests, et cetera, by the time they turned 18, they were like, Well, I wanna start partying, I wanna go and do this. Mm. You know, I went to three world juniors from I went first when I had just turned 13. Um, and then I went when I just turned 16 and then my last one when I was 18 mm -hmm. and out of those three world juniors, three completely different teams. I'm the only one left playing. 
Serious? Oh wow! Well, that says a I'm lot. I'm the only one. Like that is that's crazy. Yeah, it shouldn't be like that, should it? The, the the dropout shouldn't be as big as that. You think? Yeah, and I I like now as I say, looking back, there's it's a very hard thing to do it from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, we are lucky that earlier on we are exposed to like playing against the men, so we get really hardened, match hardened, physically, all of that sort of stuff. But when it comes to the point of that transition period from juniors to seniors, you're literally committing to spending, you know, seven months of your life away from home on the road. Mm. Um, Financially, it's not that easy because every flight costs two and a half thousand dollars. It's it's a big commitment. So that's where we lose a lot. A lot of players. Mm. So let me let me flip this question around a little bit. So you moving to the UK at 29 and been there for three years now. Yep. Or being there here. Um, how does that then feel? Obviously, being on the other side of the coin. Obviously, with home being so far away now. And how have you coped with that? Because yes, you were obviously at home for so long. Can you talk through that? Yeah, I mean, especially now through COVID. Um, I must say, like, there has been a couple of times I've really struggled just with the fact of knowing I actually can't just whip off home if I want to. I've always, even when I've been traveling, been away for three months, whatever, I always knew if I need to go home, I just get on a flight. Yeah, it takes 24 hours, but I can do it, you know. Now, knowing that I can't just go home, it's Mm. been pretty tough, to be honest. Like, um, I, I think now that I have, I'm a lot more comfortable here. So I have like, I'm settled. I have my team, Hadrian, Laura. Um, I'm working with Danny a little bit now as well. Um, my fitness trainer. So I've kind of got my life here and I also have a British passport. So my dad's actually um, British. Okay. So I have the dual citizenship. So this, yeah. this is still, this is another home for me really. So you, you've obviously alluded to, you know, Danny, Laura, like lucky enough to have them on the show and had some deep chats and got Danny coming up soon, which I'm excited about for part two. And, and you said it's been really difficult. So yes, the team's helped, but have you found any other coping strategies? Like, you know, I, I personally, I'm big into mindfulness and really trying to find things in my day that, that really keep me in the moment. Can you think of any examples that, that have helped you in regard to that? To be honest, when lockdown happened, um, I, I think it's no secret I was having a really tough year. I was struggling mentally, um, emotionally, etc. And when lockdown came, it kind of came at a time that I actually needed it. I needed to take a step away from squash. And it, it's always hard as a professional to just go, actually, no, I'm just going to take a step back. This was forced. Okay. And when it was forced, I think it takes that pressure off of like, oh, everyone else is playing, everyone else is training, I'm getting left behind. So that there was no stress, there was nothing. And I just, you know, I just really tried to think of every positive I could find through that time. Like, what do I, what can I improve? I need to improve my physicality again. Okay, well, that's what we're going to do. And I kind of just tried to break it down Mm. into areas and every area, what's a positive. So I was always just trying to be positive about any little thing that was, that had improved or any little thing. Um, Even I did a lot of reading, Laura and Danny had me doing a lot of reading and reading some books, just gaining confidence in myself again, really. So 
yeah well, it, sounds, I th- it sounds like it sounds like you you started to focus on cultivating those small wins i i'm very big on that idea like don't dismiss those small wins because you add up those small wins they actually add up to quite a big thing over time don't they huge and you know by the time i came back um by the time we started back in manchester i was so hungry to play again you know it was like oh my god i love the sport i didn't hit a ball for four months because wow. everything was locked down here yeah and i was actually fine with that because I was just, it, it, it wasn't a negative. I was like, oh, well, this is, this is, is what it is. So let's just work on this. Let's work on that. And it just gave me time to work on things and get myself to a level that I was like, oh, actually, I want to give this a go again. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. And by the time that first tournament came, I was absolutely fizzing to play. That's amazing. Really cool to hear. And, and yeah, look, no, no secret. Someone like Hadrian is very big on, on the mind-body connection and getting you into flow. Danny, I've got a lot of time for the stuff we've spoken about. Um, you know, Laura, of course, it's just, you've got a great team around you. But it leads me really onto my next question, which is, okay, maybe you could focus on that period, on, on, on maybe the four months, but also thinking maybe prior to that in tournaments. So where do you get belief from? Where do you get belief from? Well, to be honest, for me, I think in the past, belief has come from a very New Zealand mentality of doing the work, working hard. Um, You know, we're taught, like, basically, if you don't walk off the court dead, you didn't really train, sort of that mentality. Yeah. Um, It had to flip a lot when I started working with Hadrian because it is so he's so different to anything I've ever experienced I've never experienced another coach like him especially in New Zealand it's like go hard or go home you know that's kind of the mentality definitely but that built my belief because I knew I was always working hard I was matching the men physically I was doing this that's where I would get my belief from um when I would I think it helps as well if you have a few wins in tournaments, etc. That gives you belief. You know, if you know you've beaten someone who's playing well, well, I'm going into that next tournament thinking, yeah, I've got, I've got a chance here. You know, exactly. um, so yeah, I, it's it's had to change a lot for mm-hmm. me. Um, the the mentality and what is belief, what is confidence, it all kind of for me plays plays a part together. They do. And, and, and what comes to mind there when you say, and, and that's why I'm curious about the subject of belief, because yes, getting those wins, that's a very easy benchmark to go. Yes, I got the win. There's the belief. It gets obviously a little bit trickier when you, you, you're training well, you think things are going well, there, there's no results, there's no tangible output from what you've done. Yeah. What happens there with you, do you think, when, when you might not get those results and, and if you still want to cultivate that belief and confidence? Yeah, I think um, I think that's kind of where Laura, Danny, Hadrian have all kind of come in to help me and believing in the work that I'm doing, that it will come, you know? Totally. It's, it's, it's finding what is the formula for me, which I'm feeling really good about at the moment. I feel like everything's kind of in place. And just trusting that and knowing, okay, trust that process. I definitely was, I I think coming from New Zealand, where I was always the best in my age group by far, always. So I won a lot. You know what I mean? Um, But my mum always told me, no, there's always people better. She used to send me overseas. Um, So that, that mentality of like success is winning, 
is very hard when you win all the time. You know what I mean? And then you're in amongst all these other people who are working hard and doing all these things and, and just trying to find the confidence in what I'm doing. You know, my formula um, helps to give that belief. So that's, that for me is where it's at right now. Yeah, I totally, totally on the same page there. That whole process-driven approach, you know, you put your process in place, you trust them. You might need to tweak them over time with your team and talk about it. But I think I know we look at look at some young youngsters. Everyone's in a rush to get everywhere at the moment. Everyone's in a rush. It's like, I got to achieve the success by this time. And you know what? I think we all have our time at diff- different modes in that. What do you think on that? Um, yeah, I mean, so, so my journey, like when I went properly pro, uh, I was 18 and by the time I was 21 I was top 10 so okay. it took me three years mm-hmm. it was a it was quick for me to get there mm-hmm. but then I hung I've hung around that area for quite a long time mm-hmm. um, I had a, a, the injury mm-hmm. even that the belief that I could come back from that injury and I've won my most of my titles since that injury that's belief and have having the confidence that I can come back. That's all, that's all belief, you know, even to be competing at that level with all these top players again, um, that just wouldn't be possible if I didn't believe in what I was doing day in, day out, um, which would then lead me onto the, onto core and into competition, you know, and, and I agree. I think so many players just want to be there. Um, but like you say, there's a whole process. It's, it's not just on the court, it's off the court. It's how professional you are, you know, outside of training, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. I think when, you, when you're doing all those things right, it just all creates belief in what you're doing. Oh, amazingly put there, Joel. And yeah, so anyone who's listening, I can hopefully absorb that and take that on board because that's a really powerful message. And we're definitely going to get onto a few more little things that you mentioned about the injury and how you deal with setbacks and your 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 balance in life. But just before we get there, um, you've mentioned that you had to really change your mindsets. Obviously, the New Zealand tough, push hard, and then coming to Hadrian, who's again very much respect a lot of the work he does. Talk about that change of mindset. What? How did you have to evolve through that process? Do you think? Well, actually, it's funny. I was just talking about this with um, Yao and Sean Conroy and Amelia today that actually the first time I ever got on court with Hadrian, basically before it, I had lost first round to Maya Haney. I was 12 in the world coming back from my injury. And I think I was just questioning whether I could do it, whether I could get back to that level or better. Um, so we met in this cafe in Hull. I clearly remember it, a red couch and I sat there crying my eyes out telling Hadrian I've got no other option you know I'm what I'm doing now is not working and like I'm open to whatever you've got to offer okay and he said to me all right let's go on court and let's see what happens well he starts playing music and <laughs> gets me basically dancing to music on the court like fast slow fast slow hitting the ball and he's telling me you know slow down I want you to hit it like 40 percent and I'm like 40 percent does that even exist (laughs) you know what I mean I've come from the school of hard knocks where it's like bang 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 every shot is you know power and physicality yeah it's like hang on a second so from the word go he had my attention because I'm like 
this is stimulating me in a way I've never been stimulated before. And and and, and was part of you not wanting to push back out of interest because of the whole the, the whole culture you'd been in and going, oh wow, wow, this is so far to my comfort zone now. Definitely. And I still battle with it. You know, some days I'm like, oh, I need to do more, I need to do more. And it's like, hang on, chill out. Like you've okay. actually done so much work. It's still in there. There's parts of it that still haunt me a little bit, if that, if you know what I mean. Um and I think, you know, I was just at such a point where I was like, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. I'm literally either going to quit or I'm going to like open myself up to this. And, and to be honest, I think I've always been quite open-minded, mm-hmm. probably from like the way I was brought up and living in a country that is very open-minded, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I was just very, I was open. I was just like, mm-hmm. right. And he just captivated me. I was like, I want more. We spent two and a half hours, I think, that day. Oh, wow. On court in Hull at the university. And, <laughs> and he had I a just, speaker there and he was getting you to dance all these moves. That sounds amazing. And, and there were some players like hanging around out the back. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I look like an absolute tit here. But, you know, it, if, you know, who knows if it was just another lesson like exactly the same as what I'd been having Mm -hmm. maybe I wouldn't be talking to you today I might not have even kept playing for some reason Hadrian was put I believe he Mm. was put in my life he sent me a message before that point for Mm. a reason and he he got me you know I'd been talking to a few different coaches about possibly going to them but something about him just just caught my attention yeah. well, it reminds um, me of, of the saying that the, the student the, the student will be ready and the teacher will appear you know once the student is ready that teacher will appear you almost got to be ready and you might have had the same message two years ago with the thing and it would have not have stuck and I'm always interested about that evolution I'm telling you now before my injury I would have been like what the hell is this <laughs> no way like I, I I can God's honest truth if I met Hadrian before my injury I don't think I would have been is open um because I think the injury when I was trying to come back I got back to a point of where I was before the injury but it wasn't good enough anymore the games moved on within a year the game just went to another level the tin lowered through that period so I was faced with like actually what I had wasn't enough Mm. um and once I think I had the honesty with myself to actually acknowledge that that's when I opened myself up to something new so out of something pretty terrible like the injury yeah it's probably got me a lot longer career um you know less injuries I know I had a major injury but since then like touch wood never really get injured or anything like that so it's I think he was a blessing in disguise amazing what a cool story thank you thanks for (laughs) living living that with us and this might link really closely because um I'm really interested in this concept of flow and I'm doing some research in flow so question I want to ask you is what types of things do you think happen when you hit periods of flow in a match what things you think are in place when when all of that comes together Hmm, that's that's actually such an interesting question because for me, sometimes it, it's just very instinctive. Like, I think I've always been quite instinctive, an instinctive player. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking with Danny a lot about this at the moment because 
you know, some days I'm like, oh, I feel that flow and yeah. other days I don't. But what what's happened? I don't even know half the time. Yeah. What's really? Yeah. I've had the same I've had the same warm up. I've had the same food. I've had the same this, that. But I'm I'm like going, I don't know why today it just felt really good. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I don't know. That's that's a that's a tough question. I mean, for me, when I when I am in my flow state, I would say, um, I still have a level of aggression with okay. it. Um, sometimes I've tried to play in the real flow, like chilled out, probably more Hadrian's sort of side. And the way I play, it just is, doesn't work. no, that just doesn't because work it, it out for me. Into, it tips into being passive at a certain point. I, I went through a, a stage of doing that and I, I, I was like, this is amazing. I'm feeling good. I was losing three love. I'm like, well, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> like, 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 oh, I'm striking the ball so well and all of this, but actually I just lost. So <laughs> it's a very fine line between like too much flow mm-hmm. and having that, I always like to say when I feel like I'm in my best flow state, it's more of a like relaxed aggression for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when I am in that zone, I think it just feels like I just know what, to, you just know what to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's the racket just feels like an extension of your arm. Mm-hmm. The ball kind of feels really big. You feel like you have a lot of time to, mm-hmm kind of make clear decisions mm-hmm. when you're not in that flow state everything feels really rushed um i feel like i'm poor decision making mm-hmm. and it actually makes me feel more tired as well because yeah, i'm exactly. i'm starting to panic now you know yeah. out of that state so that's that's kind of how it feels for me to be honest no it sounds sounds spot on and and again it's going to be slightly different for everyone and that's that's a question i'm starting to ask people and and getting to understand but again i don't even think we can understand it because it's such a, a natural state and i don't know if you feel but but I, when i tapped into it probably once in my career um i was almost scared not scared but i recognized it was there and as soon as I told myself it was there, it disappeared. So part of me was that whole, you know, and as soon as you put a label on it, it can actually disappear quite quick. I, I don't know if you've ever gone through that or when you thought, oh, I'm in such a flow state. And actually, because you recognize it, it, it dissipates. Um, To be honest for me, when I have been in those states, I don't even know what the score is. I don't even, it's like I'm, I, I, I just, I'm just so in the moment mm. that for me, I'm like, I've had it before where they're like game like I'm going to serve and it's like game and I'm like what (laughs) that's that's the score what the hell you know what I mean but then like flip it I've had times where I've searched for it you know I've wanted it and it's just just not there it's just not come I'm noticing you know someone out the back picking their nose or this person over here who's clapping a little too loud or what have you I'm out of that zone um so yeah that's how that's how it kind of goes for me yeah, it's, it's so interesting because because a part of the research that I've started to discover is is um, actually in day to day experiences. If you can start to become aware of flow, say, I know it sounds really weird, this, but say you even like washing the dishes, but you almost feel a f- like oh, I'm flowing within that mode. And and there, there's a bit of science coming in where they're trying to encourage athletes to just recognize flow in day to day experiences. So you're working on those mm-hmm. synapses in the brain that are actually going, hey, I'm there, and I'm actually I'm going to stay with this for. 20 seconds longer than I normally would. So I don't know. That's what I'm quite. Uh, quite That's interesting. Yeah. I must say I do like sometimes I don't, I haven't even thought about it kind of outside of the court, but Mm -hmm. 
sometimes it does happen, right? Like I know for me, cleaning, like I love to clean. And I get into this state where I'm like, there's no stopping me, you know, (laughs) I put my music on and off I go. And I could be there for like two hours and not feel, not feel a thing. I think that's it. And and yeah. like it was even weird today, like on, on the run, I, on a run I had, I'd, I'd almost, I was running and, and the way the car was coming at this junction, I knew I timed it just well enough. The car didn't need to slow down and I could keep going. And it happened three times on my run today. And, and just because I'm looking at the concept, it was like, I was almost getting into this little state of recognizing these moments where there was almost symmetry and flow. And again, hopefully there's some synapses working there that it spills into other parts of your life. And that's what the theory is. It's, it's the more you can activate those brain neurons and synapses the transference into other areas gets stronger so yeah maybe next time you're cleaning you can think about that there you go (laughs) (laughs) who who thought people were going to be listening to joel king's cleaning tactics yeah hey (laughs) simon rosnerwood because we we used to discuss quite often certain cleaning products we've both got issues to be honest okay well (laughs) i've got to get him and that's going to be my opening question i'm going to be like right joel king and cleaning what's the link there (laughs) um but let me let me flip this a little bit so so flow state, great. We love it. We play at our best. But what keeps you calm when things aren't going your way? What, what, what's happening in, in the mind and what, what triggers might you try and use to, to invert that? Well, if you asked me this question like a year ago, I would say nothing could keep me calm. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think I had a lot of doubts in my mind and, and just not much confidence. So once I, I, I just couldn't find that, it was like, I was beaten, you know, it was almost beaten myself sort of thing, Mm. Um, which is quite sad to actually admit, to be honest. But um, I guess now, like we haven't had that many tournaments um, and I've only really just started sort of touching on these things with Danny. Um, I haven't really had a sports psychologist in my career, to be honest. It's all just kind of been it's instinctive or um, come from a little bit of stuff from coaches or what have you, you know what I mean? But I can certainly say there's a lot of panic. Um, A lot of, I I would say almost a little bit of like stroppiness from me. Um, A sulk, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. when I'm not quite finding that. And and as I say, like, it makes you feel tired. It makes you, those balls that, you know, when you're in the moment and in the zone, Mm -hmm. you run everything down. You, you, it's just all happening when when it's not it's like oh this i'm actually feeling oh, i'm really tired the self talk the self doubt really really starts to creep in so mm. i'm just learning you know some more um sort of tactics and and some ideas around how to okay. sort of deal with that a little bit more um okay. i think just in the past it's just i've kind of gone well physically i can do this so i'm just going to knuckle down here and just try and run my way out of it but I'm now a bit older hopefully a bit wiser um, and just trying to find some other ways of you know confronting it I guess well Um, I think I think awareness is a big part actually just just heightening your self-awareness is a huge step in the right direction and then sounds like with you and Danny you're putting things in place as coping mechanisms or or triggers could if you're okay to could you expand on some examples of of what you are trying to do or the way you're trying to speak to yourself in those moments and what you put in place um I mean literally we've had two sessions okay yeah so it's we we haven't really gone too deep into it yet you know what I mean um I I would happily give you some examples but we've literally just been 
to be honest, we've been working a lot more for me off court on, on yeah. my off court stuff at the moment to get me to a place where I can really start to utilize yeah. some of these things on court. So right. I can't really give you a substantial answer about that. I'm still yeah. figuring out, out things. And, but I, I would say like one of the biggest things that's helped me and come out of talking with Danny, even just about my off court stuff um, is just like trying to have a bit more courage Okay. Trying to, I'm a real people pleaser. Um, I would put everyone else before myself. Um, so trying to, like when I go on court, I've had times where like, obviously I'm taller, bigger girl as well. So there'll be times when I'm maybe not quite as aggressive as I need, not aggressive, but not enforcing myself on the court. I sort of go into my shell because I'm like, oh, are people going to think I'm the bully or okay. worried about what? So just having like courage is something I've talked about a lot, trying to be just a lot more confident in, in my decisions and, um, like that. and, and having the confidence on court. Yeah, no, totally. And, and again, uh, well, hopefully if we, we touch base again in, in, a, in a year or two's time, there could be a bit more depth we can go into with this. But it sounds really exciting that you're addressing it, you know, maybe false assumption for me in the squash world, kind of going, hey, listen, you got to number four in the world and surely like the mind, you're working that and there's things in place. But it sounds like it, it, it's it's a more of a, yeah, it's an, it, not necessarily an evolution because you're just addressing it now. Um, and just, just on that, in regard to inner voice, and again, it's a really interesting interesting book I've come across called Chatter by Ethan Cross and it's all about the stories and the language we tell ourselves and it's, again it sounds like you're going to touch on that with Danny at some point um, yeah it's a it's a difficult one like you know trying to I've always been drilled into me to like be kind and do all these things and that kind of doesn't really go with being a professional athlete in the heat of the moment trying to win a match you know just mm -hmm. to it's so yeah there's a there's a in a conflict already, <laughs> if that makes sense. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Because because they, they, it can go like totally the other way. You can you can see people are really overly aggressive and not kind at all. And 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 you know then there's this inner you know this this inner kind of monster in themselves as well. So you know they, there's actually quite a lot of good stuff around gratitude and kindness in professional sports. But like you said, it's a balance, isn't it? I think it's it's getting that get finding that middle ground where you can be. What did you call it before? Relaxed aggression is is that how you relaxed aggression? Yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. And then, well, the, the, you you might not have done this, but I'm curious on on your process of visualization. Have you ever visualized anything within your game or looked at at putting rehearsals in place for anything? Yeah, I, actually, like I say, I haven't done much work with psychologists or anything, but I did work with someone. Um, Oh, this is really bad. I've forgotten his name. Craig. He used to be like with Squash New Zealand. I've okay. forgotten his last name. He's written a book. Anyway, 
he is the first person who really introduced me to a bit of visualization. Um, so I would say that's actually something I have used uh, a bit more of throughout my career, you know, even visualizing the venue, for, like before I get to a tournament, um, just just wherever I am, just sort of closing my eyes and visualizing, I know the courts, I know this, I know that, how it's going to feel, visualizing a crowd in there, um, visualizing who I'm playing, you know, and I also have used it quite a bit in my ghosting. Um, mm -hmm. th those are probably the only two places I've really used it. So rather than just ghosting with no purpose, visualizing where the ball's coming from, it just gives you that little bit extra um, sort of intensity, I think, not just physically, but mentally. Um, when you're picturing where the ball's coming from, those different angles, et cetera. So yeah, it's a really cool process on visualization. I, I personally think it's it's something so powerful and important. And if we can rehearse things both positively and negatively, I think that that really puts some strong things in place. And and yeah, you you said you do it with your ghosting as well. So it feels like a real life thing. Do any examples come to mind where you think visualization has actually transferred really well into your performance? Can can you pinpoint anything that's that you can think of? Um yeah, I mean like. I guess for me early on when I first started looking at it, I used to get a bit overwhelmed being on the glass court. Um, you know, when you when you first start playing on the glass, it's like, whoa, you just, there's people, there's crowds. You know, when you play somewhere like Egypt, mm. it's really vocal and it can feel a bit like a dragon's den. Mm -hmm. So for me, actually just visualizing early on, mm. like that's what's going to happen, that I guess, like you're saying, a positive, but also looking at a negative situation of, okay, it's, you're not from Egypt, you're playing someone from Egypt. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be, you know, you might think, oh, that's a hard call from the ref or what have you. Sort of playing that through in your head just helps you to accept it, I think. Accept that this is the situation. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes we like to, if we fear something, we push it down and kind of hide away from it a little bit um but like letting it come up and and experiencing it before it even happens so I would say that's that's something that really helped me in my career especially early on yeah again I wish I'd, I'd uncover this a little bit myself because at the point when I went into visualizations when I was playing it was all positive visualize success visualize yourself winning the trophy visualize it squash is a game of chaos and there's so many variables that are going to go on and it's so unrealistic isn't it because you know you need to visual it's almost like the whole negative visualization you need to flip it on his head and probably visualize more of the bad outcomes and put a solution in place exactly i mean you always see top athletes like someone that comes to mind conor mcgregor he always says that he always like I'd be driving my girlfriend's peugeot and I'd visualize driving like a range rover or he always went the positive way yeah. Um, I'm, I haven't listened to him enough to know whether he did negative as well, mm. but I think you've, you've picked like a really good point there because even myself, mm. what I just explained to you, I didn't really even know that was something I was looking at it in a negative way. It was just mm. like, I need to prepare for this. Exactly. I didn't look at it as like, oh, this is a positive or a negative. It was like, mm. I just need to prepare. Yeah. Um, and I can I actually really agree that sometimes we only look at the positives and how it's going to it's all rosy and we're in the flow state and feeling really good and all of that. Well, yeah, it's easy to play like that. But 
what happens when your opponent takes a double bounce and you start to get pissed off or yeah. what have you? How are you going to deal with that? Yeah, and exactly that. We, we spoke about flow earlier and how, how rare it is to be in that flow state. So why are we visualizing these perfect flow states? It's like, actually, should we not be visualizing the solution to the problems and actually be a, a problem solver within that visualization? And as you said, Conor McGregor, I've used him in the past as a reference point, but I haven't anymore because of that exact reason. He would give these long speeches about all the really amazing, successful things. And I know it sounds really bad, but he's obviously lost quite a few fights recently. And maybe I'm like, hey, maybe you've overlooked <laughs> the positive side. <laughs> No, I, that's actually like, I've just learned something from this conversation, you know, that's, I think that's actually something that's really important. And, and like you say, not talked about enough, probably. Yeah, totally. I, th I think I think it also needs, and this is where I'm, I'm working on it with the app, it, it obviously needs a bit of training, because you don't want you don't want it to become all negative because I think to certain characters, if you introduce to some against someone who's young or not necessarily experienced with it, they'll probably just start seeing problem after problem after problem and not be able to reframe it into a solution part. So I think it's also it, it's timing of when you introduce it to people as well. Isn't it interesting? Like every subject we've pretty much talked about, it's there's a fine line. It's a very fine line be between being good or bad. You know what I mean? Like very much if you get it too much one way and not enough that way, it can be a negative. Pompous. So it's really, everything's a fine line. It is. Well, it's the, the word balance. I, I keep coming back to that word balance. I just love that word and everything about it. But that, it's almost like you've read my next question here. But um, what do you do to get balance in your life and stay mentally fresh? So you alluded to working off the court with Danny a bit. I'm so interested in athletes development off the court because I think so much gets shone on what's going on in the arena. Yeah. So what, what's your balance life away from the court then? Yeah, I mean, I love, like, I think it's criminal if you live in Bristol and you don't drink coffee. I love going out and exploring new parts of Bristol, um, finding new coffee spots, brunching, obviously, when we're not in lockdown. Yeah. But uh, I think something that people don't really, you know, they just see athletes, something that people don't really know about me. So I'm quite creative. Like, I, I'm, I'm into... I've been painting all weekend. I'm taking an abstract art course. Nice. Um, so that for me is like something where I just completely leave squash alone and I can just yeah. go into this creative. I'm not any good at it, but it's just opening like a whole nother part of my brain to mm -hmm. be creative. Um, I love interior design. Like I, if you ever come to my place, there's just a pile of house magazines. I love all that stuff. Wow. So, so for me, it's, it's, it's not always easy. Um, and sometimes I think as well, when you're doing really well, you just want more, you want more squash, more, I've got to train more, I've got to do more, I've got to do more. So, you know, being brave enough to just go, you know what, I'm taking Saturday and Sunday off, and I'm going to do all my other stuff. Um, my arts, my reading house magazines, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, for me, that's, it's like, I love actually getting away from it. I love being social. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm a very social person. I love to see people, chat, rah, rah, rah. Um, for example, in the weekend, I took a drive out to the beach and went and did some ice, cold um, <laughs> water stuff because um, it was a beautiful day. So I, I like to just kind of mm. do things spare of the moment as well um, and I just mix things up. Yeah, well, the two things come to mind when you talk there, that the whole idea of 
getting on that success treadmill, there's a, a, a term I use a lot called hedonic adaptation is as soon as you get something, you want the next thing and you want the next thing. And that can be material things. It can be success. It can be yeah, wealth, whatever it is. And, and it's a really dangerous treadmill to get on because you don't stop and you don't pause and you don't, I know it sounds cliche, but you don't stop to smell the roses. And I think uh. it's an important thing for athletes development to be able to get that balance right. And so, for, and then the second thing was, you know, you talk about your painting and that for me, it sounds like that you're touching on complete mindfulness. Do you get yourself lost in that moment when you're there? Do you just, you're immersing yourself in it? Oh, for sure. Um, I could be there for hours to be honest. <laughs> I just, I, I find it so relaxing. Okay. I really find painting and just taking something that's blank and putting something on it I, uh, I don't know how to explain it that's how it feels to me is just even if it's the ugliest thing I've ever done and I'm never going to hang it in my house I just find it really really soothing um to relax and just I don't think about mm. anything really mm. and, and not even not just squash I just don't I just don't think it just happens and it just takes my mind right away from mm everything except for that moment really yeah and, and that, that's that's the summary of mindfulness and meditation it's it's how you can train your brain to be in the moment and yes you can do formal training and sit and meditate but you can find that task like you're doing and, and immerse yourself in it so yeah big message of what i'm trying to do with with my platform here is to really get that balance right you know find that thing you can get lost in and so come on how many paintings have you done how many how many published paintings are there I've done two okay. over this weekend. Like they're still yeah. not finished. I've got more layers and things to go, but um, nice. I'm loving that. I love abstract art. Nice. Like, you know, it's it's in the eye of the beholder, but um, I'm taking this course and I'm really, really enjoying it. So, well, I'm sure at some point you've got to be getting that on social media. Your first ever <laughs> in the house. You put, no, you've said it. You've got to do it, I think. Come I'm on. rubbish at social media. So it's probably never going to make it, but um, hopefully, hopefully one day I'll do something worth sharing. Oh, amazing. Oh, thanks for sharing that part of your life. And again, genuinely, if people hear that, I, I really think it's important to hear. But let's um let's maybe zoom into the the whole idea about coping with setbacks and difficulties. You know, first thing that comes to mind is your really bad Achilles injury and and and, and what happened there. So what comes to mind when I say coping with setbacks and difficulties? What what, what do you do? To be honest, it's it's probably a similar thing that happened to me in lockdown. Um I really, really, even when I did my Achilles, it was like, oh my God, I know I'm going to be out. And and I think at that time I felt hard done by because I was four in the world and really starting to sort of make that move. Um, but as soon as it happened, I was upset and all that. But then I quickly switched to like, actually, I've been, this is, I'm going to prove what I'm made of here. I'm going to come back from this. Like, even if, I don't ever get back to where I was. I'm just going to do as well as I can to get back. Um, so then I think also the fact that the injury, you go back to like, you can't even walk. Literally you can't put a shoe on. It's so far back that you're almost like clean slate. Here we go. So okay. every little step was so positive. Like just right. naturally it was so positive because, I've been sat for like three months on my bum, can't do anything. So now I've got a shoe on. Whoa, that's amazing. Putting a shoe on my foot. The first day I could run, you know, I ran one lap of the rugby field. Amazing. Then wow. it was like two or three. So every, because you just, it's just so far mm. from reality, really. You go mm. so far back. 
everything was positive and to be honest I I really didn't struggle at all through my through my injury um that sounds really weird and of course it was hard to see everyone else playing or what have you but I think because I was able to just accept it Mm -hmm. and then find other things to keep me occupied in life Mm. I was completely fine Amazing. And, and did you, did you have any help and support with that? Did you speak to anyone or did you find it was just actually pretty natural for you? You just, you just went at it with that mindset and it default was that. Yeah. I didn't talk to anyone about, like, I didn't have a psychologist or yeah. anything that I was talking to. Um, I had good support around me, like family. And mm-hmm. um, I had an amazing physio. I was, you know, once again, you get these people in your life for a reason. She was just recovering from um, cancer And she wasn't working at that time, but we had met at the Commonwealth Games, got on really well. And when it happened, I called her and asked her for advice. She was like, well, I'm trying to get back into the workforce now um, and I'm not, but I'm not working. So I would love to help you rehab. So she would like come to my house. I would rehab with her for a few hours a day. She was there every step of the way. And I'm so grateful. Like she really kept me going as well. And my fitness trainer that I had back, back home I've worked with him since I was 19 he was there every step of the way so it was that support really that that kept me going but like I say I think because every step was so positive it was just an easy thing to be positive no sure you've alluded to that a little bit earlier as well I think that that's a really strong message that that you know we can give to some of the the players out there is going yeah when things aren't great it's like right let's strip it back a little bit let's find where we can get those small wins and you know let's not underestimate them and you know even when things are feeling really terrible I I think we can definitely reframe our mind with that Um, yeah and I just sorry just just quickly on there as well um before that injury I didn't really like watch, I hated watching squash actually, which sounds really strange as a professional player, top four in the world. I I wasn't one like, I know some players who will just watch every single match, watch every replay, you know, that's so, I wasn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. The in, through the injury, I fell in love with squash. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I found myself, I was watching all the tournaments and I learned so much just watching. Okay. Like, I think I actually developed a whole nother part of me as a squash player Mm. um, sort of from the injury and and not being able to play. So I was like, oh, I want to watch. And I just started all of a sudden loving watching um, squash. So a bad thing turned, you know, another positive came out of it. And, and uh, yeah, I, I love what you say about loving loving the game because it sounds like you, you need to, you need, it needs to be your passion, your energy. You need to have that love for it. You know, if, if you're turning up and it, it feels like, um, yes, it's work and I, professional players, yes, you got to see it as that. But also there's, there's surely got to be a bit of love coming in there and, and the love of the process. And it sounds like you've had some difficult times, obviously, and you're not always going to love it. But generally, is that where you're at with your, your head and the way you look at things within the game? Yeah, I'm, I'm in a completely different place. I think even being just a bit older and like we've mm-hmm. talked quite a bit about looking back. Um, and, you know, like I've had times through my career where I've been like, oh, what if I had what if I grew up in Egypt and I had all these players to play against or what if I got that funding or what if I had that coach or what have you. And like, I wouldn't say jealousy, but a little bit of like, Oh, what if, 
but actually now being like, well, this is what I've got, you know, let's make the most of it sort of thing. So it's, yeah, I think the mindset has just completely changed and I absolutely love, love what I do. I love squash. I have such an appreciation, I think now as well, you know, when, when some of these June, you know, Asal, for example, um, there's a lot of controversy around his celebrations or what have you. And, you know, he beat Paul, my compatriot, but, and, and there was a lot of, lot of talk, you know, even in the media back home and stuff. And, but that I have the appreciation, this boy wants it. He is so passionate. He's blooming young and he's just beaten one of our great players. Mm-hmm. It, that's just the passion, you know? So I have, whereas I think coming from a country I don't know if you can agree with South Africa, maybe similar. We have a really bad history of tall poppy syndrome. Okay. Tall poppy syndrome. Talk about tall that. Poppy. Do you know what tall poppy syndrome no, is? Uh, no, this is new to me. It's funny. Uh, I just read an actor we have from New Zealand just wrote an article saying like he always knew he wanted to leave New Zealand. Tall poppy syndrome is basically when people are doing well, people want to bring them down. Ah, okay. Right. Wow. Yeah. They don't, they don't like, and, and New Zealand, typically like I don't want to put my foot in it here but like it's it's we have a really bad history of it in New Zealand it's like oh it's good that you're doing well but don't do too well or don't be too cocky or don't be too confident don't like for someone to come out and say I want to be world number one it's like oh that's not very New Zealanderish. you know what I mean which is really interesting how does that then link obviously the 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 all blacks come to mind straight away and and you know yes they're very grounded and they're very humble and you get Dan Carter cleaning the the boot room but I don't know if you know but how does that then link into the Kiwis and the all blacks well for example you know when they're winning like they didn't win well enough when they lose I mean the coach has to go the whole lineup mm-hmm. needs to okay. be changed that Makes sort of sense. that sort of mentality it's like it's it's just it's just a thing I think mm-hmm. um so yeah sort of dealing dealing with a bit of that as mm-hmm. well um yeah that's um and you, like like I, I do uh, when I when I do some education pieces talk about growth and fixed mindsets and one of the character traits of, of someone who's a fixed mindset is they are they are they are threatened by other people's success. Growth mm-hmm. people tend to celebrate other people's success. They they go brilliant. This is great, and and, and it's just the, the the viewpoint we have on it. So yeah, that tall poppy syndrome for me straight away links to like a character trait of of that grow, of the fixed mindset, which is which isn't a good mindset we want to be in. And I think since I've left New Zealand, I mean, even at twenty nine, I've when you're out of it you mm-hmm. see it sort of more so um mm. like Djokovic I think is not very liked back there because he's very yeah he says he's going to do something he does it and yeah, then it's like oh like, damn he doesn't he? he's just like that that's who I am and I'm just that's I'm me you know what I mean um yeah. and and sadly I think sometimes because we are so far away and you can often be like, I was a big fish in a small pond. I was so much better than all the kids my age, everything like that. It's very easy to get a bit lost in that. Mm. And all of a sudden, like you sort of feel like there's limits within within the country, if that makes sense. I see, yeah, totally. um, when you go out, you're like, oh, there's a big wide world here. Yeah. And actually you need a bit of that if you want to reach the heights of, of your chosen career, whether it's anything really. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something I've really learned a lot about as I've 
I've kind of experienced more being overseas. Yeah. Oh, amazing. No, thanks for sharing. And yeah, I feel like a little bit more enlightened now. I like that. It's really cool. So this this might be hard to pick. You you've had an amazing career, some amazing titles. What comes to mind as some of your fondest memories in regard to some of the competitions you've been in and any title that comes to mind? I mean, the Commonwealth Games is always super special for for us. You know, it's it's our biggest stage of squash players in terms of like the wider public in New Zealand really seeing us on an international stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, Gold Coast was just, I mean, I couldn't have even dreamed, especially after after my injury, you know, I, yeah. who would have thought that I could go there and win two golds and yeah. uh, a bronze. Um, so for me, that's, that's a huge one. And obviously the only platinum I've ever won is Hong Kong. Okay. Um, and that week for me was just, it, it, it was crazy because I was really sick. Like the week before I was actually thinking, I don't know if I can go. I had to have the doctor come like not many people know this actually, but I was so sick in bed. I had to have the doctor come to the house to see me because I couldn't even get up to go oh um, to the doctor. And it was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can go. Anyway, I ended up getting on the flight and thought, I'm just going to go and just see, see what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that going into something with absolutely no expectation. <laughs> Like I knew I had done lots of training and all of that, but it was different. It was just like, I'm just going to go and just see how I play. Yeah. Um, and I had a tough first round. I played Maya Haney. Mm. I won in four. Okay. I then played Hania. I won in four. Tough match. Um, and then I was playing, uh, who did I play next? Nora, I think. Tayyip. Wow. That's quite Last quite four. Three love. Against wow. North, I don't think I'd ever beaten North three love. Uh, I played SJ in the semi final three love, and I played Renim in the final three love. It yeah. was, and Renim was just had just got her world number one back. So, Amazing. you know, that's another one that for me just two for, for very different reasons. The Commonwealth yeah. Games was a huge goal, like that was a that was a unwritten goal. Everyone in my close to me knew that I was going there for three golds to be honest Mm -hmm. I wanted three golds um came up a bit short but amazing so so when I went there there was pressure on my from within myself because that I wanted that yeah but then flip this yeah contrasting yeah you flip it and Hong Kong like I went in as number seven seed I think I'd lost, I'd had an injection in my foot. Actually, I had a neuroma in my foot as well. What? <laughs> about a month previous. Um, Amazing. Yeah, I was I was having real problems with my foot. So I had an injection and then got sick and went in there with absolutely no expectation and mm-hmm. played like amazingly well. So, Brilliant. you know, is there a formula? Um... I don't know. Yeah, probably not. As all we're all stumbling around and hoping for the best by the signs. But that reminds me, of, I was lucky enough to uh, have a chat with Sarah Fitzgerald uh, on one of the previous shows, and she said a very similar story. I actually think it was Hong Kong. She had a crazy bad tooth thing. She had to have like you know, re- like toothache, face swollen, late flights. Everything was just going wrong, and went and had a similar experience. Just went with zero expectation. Was was actually about to pull out, and yeah, maybe it's just like a mental handbrake has just completely come off. Yeah, it's. And I can remember that week, like, just, I was just so free. Mm-hmm. Just that mental freedom of like, hey, let's just, what, 
what's the worst that can happen really you know I nearly went out to like even against Maya I was struggling in that yeah. first match um against Hania struggling to a certain point and then she was still a bit young then so I managed to get through that one in four but then to come up against Noor and these players who I'd battle yeah. a- absolute battles with them and just go three love three love three love was amazing incredible so yeah it was it was Brilliant. that was probably yeah apart from the com games that's a special one so let's just stay with the com games just a little bit more because i'm curious on that so the pressure's a little bit higher the expectations are higher what were you doing to try and manage those on say match by match day by day what was happening t- for you to keep yourself as grounded as possible and not think of that goal too much yeah it's funny like i watched some of my interviews sort of pre-Commonwealth Games, and I was just so dead set that that's what I wanted, which is so not my personality either. And I was actually voicing it. Like, yeah, I I think even in one interview, I said, I've come here for three goals and you you can talk the talk, but you've got to walk the walk as well. And I'm like thinking, where the hell did this come from? Because that's not me at all. You know what I mean? Um, But I'd worked so bloody hard. I'd worked so hard with hatred. Like I'd done so much. I just, it's it's weird. It's almost like there was just such a uh, pressure, but a calmness okay. um, coming back to as well, that confidence and belief in what I had done to that point and how I had been playing um, that each day, like I, I, I wouldn't say I felt any pressure really. It was like I, I had my routine. I... Funnily enough, every Commonwealth Games I've actually done really well since my first one. And I, I think there's a little bit of like that team spirit that we have mm-hmm. in the wider team, not just within squash, mm-hmm. but within the whole New Zealand team, the mana, um, just the, the strength and sort of pride that we have there. Um, I've always done quite well. So I was just, just really comfortable in the environment and, I think when you're around other peers and that are achieving great things in different sports as well, it just lifts you. It really sort of mm-hmm. is uplifting and and gives you that um, when some of these people are looking at you as an inspiration, you're like, wow, that's, okay. that's pretty cool. And I, I actually ended up being the best athlete in the whole New Zealand Ooh. team. Oh, congrats. I didn't yeah, know which, which is pretty, you know, that's pretty cool. Like, against some amazing, we have so much talent within that, mm. that team. So, wow. yeah, it was, it was a different, there was pressure, but there wasn't pressure mm. because I, I just had this inner calmness that I just felt like that was my com games. It's so interesting you saying that. Um, just you uh, pick up on one thing you said there about uh, the, the mana and the team and, and all of that together. I don't know, if, as you said that, I'm, I'm just flicking back to your netball days and, you know, individual sports and team sports. You know, quite interesting that, that you talk that that actually lifted you. And I don't know, what are you thinking when I say that? Yeah, I mean, because for me, since I started playing squash, I've traveled on my own pretty much all the time. Um so it's a very different vibe to have all of a sudden you've, we've got like a te- just for the squash manager, coach who are just like doing anything for you. But aside from them within the wider team, there's people like there to support you and everything, mm. physios, the lot. It's not just about the actual support, it's the wider support. So 
it is an interesting point you do bring up there. Who knows? Maybe I missed my calling in netball, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, definitely that that team spirit, and it's so strong within yeah. the New Zealand team. Amazing, super oh, strong. Yeah, really cool. Um, listen, you've been amazingly kind with your time. Can I ask you two more questions? Have you got a bit of time? Of for Of course. Thank you. Of this course. So I could probably ask you about fifty more, but um, <laughs> looking a little bit more at your tournaments and zooming into that, what is your mental warm up like when you're at tournaments? I know you've only just started your journey with Danny, but can you reflect on that? Because obviously, physically, we know we got to get warm. But what's happening in that warm up phase in regard to your mind? What's what's ticking over in there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's depending, obviously, on who I'm playing, but I like to watch a little bit of whoever I'm playing. Um, I sort of begin my warm-up really at the hotel. Like, that's when I start to switch on about an hour and a half, two hours before I'm about to leave the hotel. Okay. Um, so I like to get my stuff ready, make sure that my outfit is, you know, on point. It's all there. I, I hate the thought of ever forgetting forgetting something like shoes or whatever so for me that's part of my mental warm-up you know I I like to get everything ready it's all set to go um I will then like to watch a bit of my opponent um just to see because you know like anything each tournament people are bringing different things to the game they've they've that found that they need to work on that and they've changed that up a little bit so what you think you knew about them last tournament they've if they're um you know, forward thinking and trying to improve, quite often they're bringing something different. So I need to know yeah. what's happening. So I like to watch a little bit. And then to be honest, it's just something I've kind of developed. I like to just lay on my bed and just visualize myself once again playing. Um, that the, the environment again, you know, just a few little like affirmations to myself for confidence. Um and really, that's that's basically that takes you know half an hour, forty minutes. Yeah. Um. And then and then that's it. Like switched off. That's it. I've done that part, the mental side. I'm ready to go. So I go and have a shower, mm -hmm. get dressed, blah blah blah, and off I go to the courts. And then once I'm there, um, depending on the situation, like if I can get on and have a hit a little bit, I like to do that just to know that my eyes in. But um. I actually, I actually then do lie down okay. and put on a little bit of meditation stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I have breathe and I have headspace. Mm -hmm. So really basic, like lion mind or something like that, that I can just literally just zone out. Like I don't, I, I don't even notice who's around or what have you. It's just trying to get in my own zone, you know? Um, and then I start my physical warm up and, and we're into the match. So that's kind of right. how it works for me. Love it. And there's, there's, there's a lot of little points you've touched on there that, that I personally trying to get people to be aware of. But as you say that as well, I think we've got to also understand everyone's slightly different and some people need more activation. Some need, need more rest. How your mental warm up is when you're a 21 year old might be different to a 29 year old. There's so many variables, but you find your sweet spot at the moment, you think? Definitely. I mean, I'm still sort of tweaking it and stuff like that, but, um, interestingly the first time I ever beat Laura and ever beat Nicole was in the same tournament and I was literally nearly asleep doing meditating out the back before yeah. I started my warm-up it was unbelievable like that, <laughs> that point of my career when I just it was like the extreme you know but then I got on the court and I was like 
bang, 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 flying around. So it's that happy medium once again. Yeah. Did, did you ever find, and this is a question I've been asked by a few players, I'm trying to really get them to try and understand this. They're, they are quite fearful of then becoming lackadaisical and, and mm. massive. Has that happened to you where you've, where you've like in, you said Hadrian type flow, but where you've done something like meditation and calmed yourself really down that it hasn't transferred into that, that, that aggression side as well. Can you talk on that? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's been like the the meditation or the the mindfulness that's caused that. I think it's more just been like for me probably a little bit more that I I've done that and then not done the physically got myself you know on springing. So my mind's ready, but my body's sort of in a bit more of like a medium to slow sort of pace. Okay. Um, so that's probably where I have screwed up a few times to yeah. be honest. No, but that, that's good advice. I, I think I'll use that the idea. Like actually the mind can be relaxed, but you've got to make sure that that warm up is it, the physical warm up is, is, is on point as well. Cause you don't want to be lax on that. And then that transfer across. Definitely. Cool. And um, last thing, which, which we maybe even touched on as we've been going around here today is where do you think you need to improve mentally? <laughs> I mean, how much time have you got? Okay, yeah, you <laughs> nah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, I think, like you said, from 20 to now, you, it's always changing. It's always evolving. Um, like I just alluded to at the Commonwealth Games, I had so much self-belief, so much confidence. It was like, it was, I, I just thought this is my time. You know, I've sort of probably like my journey I've been through and stuff. I lost a bit of that confidence in myself just generally off the court, etc. Um, so that's that's probably been the biggest thing that I've been trying to get back, you know, is mm. is just having that confidence off court to hopefully translate over. Um, because I think like I'm not saying I'm I'm not a great, I'm not a Shabana who's won everything, but I have won stuff. So the formula sort of is there. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, that confidence and belief has probably been lacking a little bit in the last, you know, while I was going through a few issues as such. Um, so that, that's probably been the biggest thing that I, I've been trying to get back. Mm, awesome. Well, listen, it sounds like you're putting some amazing things in place. Uh, you know, the team around you sound like they're going to support you great. And, and your, your self-awareness sounds at a really high point at the moment, which which it sounds really encouraging. Joel, it's been an absolute treat for me. I hope you've enjoyed taking this little bit of a journey down uh, down memory lane, but also down the mind lane a little bit. And listen, good luck. Let's, uh, let's, let's see what uh, the squash world is going to get when you jump back on court soon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Joel. Awesome. Presence. Process. Persistence. The essence of Squash Mind. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.